If you turn in your Bibles with me to Daniel chapter 5, we're going to explore that moment where God writes on the wall. But this time it's not playing a game and you don't get extra credit points. <laughs> At the end of Daniel chapter 4, we find King Nebuchadnezzar, and he is singing praises to God. This is a king that knew it all, had it all, had the wealth, the fame, the power, the authority. And somewhere in his life, he developed a a huge sense of pride and arrogance. Imagine that, when all of your needs are met and you have everything that you not only need but want, the human nature starts to get a little prideful. It starts to get a little prideful. As, as a matter of fact, you don't have to be a king in order to recognize this. You can be a little kid the day after Christmas, right? Whenever, whenever your kids are walking around saying, look what I got. Look how, look how much I have. And then they're not sharing with their brothers and sisters. And it just, and you say the day after Christmas, it's like, okay, give me all the toys back. I want them all. You can, you can play with them later on in the summer or something like that. Because the truth is, is that, that pride and arrogance are, are, are a part of the human condition. And they're so, it's so easy to fall into. But King Nebuchadnezzar, he, he fell into this, this mode, this, this way of thinking. And because he fell into that mode, that, that way of thinking, the Lord decided to humble him. How many know that, that you can get humble pretty quick? Yeah? Anybody ever been humbled out there? <laughs> I live it. <laughs> but the truth is, is that King Nebuchadnezzar, in, the, in a moment, the Lord took away his sanity. And the Bible says he went out to the field. He ate uh, like an animal, grass out of the field. And he lived his life like an animal for years. And only whenever King Nebuchadnezzar came into uh, the understanding and agreement that the Lord was the true Lord, that he needed to honor him with his life, did, was his sanity restored and his position and everything about his kingdom restored. What a powerful lesson for King Nebuchadnezzar. But as we get to the end of chapter four and go into chapter five, we find something else out. The Bible says it was uh, his son, but the, it doesn't use a literal text or a little literal sense from Nebuchadnezzar to the next king, his son. It's like grandfather, a little bit removed in family. You know, it's probably one of those Arkansas families that we're talking about here. But we find King Belshazzar. And King Belshazzar had been at this point ruling as about 30 years later, and he'd been ruling for years and years at this point. And King Belshazzar was a little bit different than King Nebuchadnezzar because King Belshazzar had King uh, Nebuchadnezzar as a role model. He knew exactly what God was capable of doing, but instead of choosing to follow in the path that the Lord laid out, in the, in the path of redemption of King Nebuchadnezzar, King Belshazzar continually became more and more arrogant. He continually became more and more prideful. And as a result of one of the, re, as one of the regional rulers of Babylon, literally ruling over that area, um, his 
kingdom became weak and was perceived weak by, by its neighboring countries, especially the Medes and the Persians. How many of you know that whenever we become arrogant within ourselves, other people take notice? It's pretty easy to see whenever somebody's arrogant. And there's something else about the human nature that makes you want to take <laughs> that arrogance right off their face. <laughs> and that's exactly what the Medes and the Persians wanted to do. They, they just wanted to pull King Belshazzar down a few notches. And so because they began to notice how he was ruling his kingdom, they began to notice the climate, the climate across the kingdom, they started to position themselves for an insurgence, for an invasion. And that's kind of where we pick up in our text. You see, not only was he a, a weak and prideful ruler, but he was completely disconnected from reality. You see, whenever nations around you and neighboring states around you would gather together to wage war, uh, common sense would suggest that you kind of go ahead and send the army out or, or start training a little harder and start kind of locking the doors around you and start doing all the things necessary to weather that invasion. But, but King Belshazzar did exactly opposite of what you would think. Instead of preparing to defend himself or even going on a counterattack, he decided that he was going to throw one of the most lavish parties that we see in scripture. He invited a thousand people and the, the, the number a thousand isn't a definite number. It's a symbolic number that references a ton of people. Now, I don't know about you, but if I bring 30 people over to my house, I am swamped out. We got people like talking in the restroom at that point, you know, uh, we got people standing on the patio. We got people standing in the front, but, but King Belshazzar being in Babylon, he could easily bring that many people and more. He invited all of his nobles. He invited all of his wives and all of his concubines. That sounds like a little bit of an awkward party, but hey, <laughs> whatever floats your boat. And he decided to do that as a demonstration of strength. And as I read in the text and as we read together, we would probably see that it was more than just a flex. It was more than just pride. I think that he truly was scared. He knew what was going on. And he wanted to drown out his fears with a party. Yeah. I, I kind of wonder between you and me, how many of us live our lives in a sense of pride in one hand, but on the other hand, we are in touch with reality just enough to realize how much trouble that we're in. And because we're in trouble, we have a tendency to gravitate over to the things that will soothe and calm our nerves, at least in our own sense, to alcohol, to drugs, to uh, relationships. We, we gravitate towards the things that we feel like we control and make us feel better instead of coming to the Lord. Because we're trying to deal with the situation on our own terms, in our own ways. And it just... It just doesn't work. It just doesn't add up. But that's what King Belshazzar did. Just throw this huge party. But it's not enough that he, would to, he, he were to throw this party as an act of, 
of profanity, as an act of, of, um, uh, of desecration to, to the Lord and, and, and to really to, to tell the Lord that it's not about him, but it's about his kingdom, right? He decided to bring in the sacred objects from the temple that Babylon had took over and took over from Jerusalem and brought these sacred objects back, gold and silver cups. He called for them to be brought in. And instead of being utilized in a, in a sacrifice to God, he said, pour wine in them and let us drink out of them. So he used the, the cups that were, that were designed, that were consecrated for God in a party to himself. What an what an active way to rebel against God. That's where we pick up in our text in Daniel chapter 5, starting in verse 5. Suddenly they saw the finger of a human hand writing on the plaster wall of the king's palace near the lampstand. The king himself saw the hand as it wrote, and his face turned pale with fright. His knees knocked together in fear, and his legs gave way beneath him. The king shouted for the enchanters, astrologers, and fortune tellers to be brought before him. He said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever can read this writing and tell me what it means will be dressed in purple robes of royal honor and will have a gold chain placed around his neck. He will become the third highest ruler in the kingdom." Here after he calls this party, here after he defiles the objects that were sacred before God, after he completely detaches from reality and, and parties in the face of this incoming invasion, he sees this hand writing on the wall. And you and I know exactly what's going on. God had had enough. He wasn't going to put up with it anymore. And God wrote a message straight to the king. But his response was to be immediately afraid. Now, if I saw a handwriting a message on the wall, I would, I'll let you know, I'd be afraid too. I'm just going to say that. But why is it that he knew exactly that he wasn't living right. He wasn't in right relationship with God. He wasn't even in right relationship with his people. And he knew that it wasn't a congratulations on your victory over the Medes. He knew that it was a, a, a message that he needed to be afraid of. And so he decides that he's going to buy the interpretation. He's going to reward those that can, that can interpret it correctly. And so he calls for his friends that got him into the trouble he's already in. I, I kind of wonder sometimes as, uh, as you and I find ourselves not living for the Lord, as, as, as we find ourselves making wrong decisions, why is it that we do everything that we can to, to buy our way out of our problem? Or, or to invite other people's uh, opinions into our life that they themselves aren't living for the Lord and are probably experiencing problems on their own. But we do that over and over again. We solicit their opinions and their advice when they themselves aren't living for the Lord. 
I want to tell you folks, your friends and money, they can't get you out of a problem when you find yourself living contrary to the Lord. You know, he called the enchanters, but there was no positive mental image that they could conjure. There's no chant that they could make in order to, to talk their way out of the problem. You know, he called somebody else, he called the astrologers. And they could read the signs of the heavens, but they couldn't read the sign on the wall. They called the fortune tellers, but they were straight up out of luck. And I want to tell you something. He was more afraid after their failure than he was going into it. Ladies and gentlemen, when God wants to speak into our hearts, when God wants to touch our lives, he can do it. And so he, and so, but, but as, uh, as he was standing there, scared to death, all of a sudden the queen mother came in and she remembered what Daniel had done in previous administrations. And so he, she said, go get Daniel for he is filled with the spirit of the gods. She didn't understand that there was one God that he was filled with. So he, they ran after Daniel and they brought him back and Daniel stood before them. And he read the four words that were written on that wall. He read them out loud. He said it was many, many tekel parson. Those four words. And he began to address the king. He said, oh king, you keep those rewards. You keep the money. You keep the, 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 the purple robe. You keep the position. I don't want any of it. And he began to tell, them, tell, tell the king about King Nebuchadnezzar and how he didn't learn from his failure. And then we find ourselves with the exact uh, prophecy revolving the handwriting on the wall in verse 23. For you have proudly defiled the Lord of heaven and have had these cups from the temple brought before you. You and your nobles and your wives and concubines have been drinking wine from them while praising gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Gods that neither see nor hear nor know anything at all. But you have not honored the God who gives you the breath of life and controls your destiny. So God has sent this hand to write this message. This is the message that was written. Many, many tekel parson. This is what these words mean. Many means numbered. God has numbered the days of your reign and has brought it to an end. Tekel means weighed. You have been weighed on the balances and have not measured up. Parson means divided. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. What a powerful message to a king. You have been numbered, you have been weighed, and you have been divided. I think sometimes we live our life believing that no matter what we do, at some point God will forgive us. And that there is no end to that mercy of God. 
But I, I need somebody here to understand something this morning. That as we look at really what the main message is in the book of Daniel, it's, it's that your present situation isn't your final destination. That you do serve a God that is full of grace and mercy and forgiveness. And that no matter how far that you get, he will still welcome you back. And not back just as a slave or a servant, but back as a, one of his children. That there is no end to his grace and mercy, but there is an end to the number of your days. And that you and I, we don't know exactly when that end is and that we're not promised another day. And so the Lord would speak to you this day that if you are in a situation where you've been knowingly moving in a direction other than with him, if you've been running away from him, if you've been choosing to go somewhere else that he's not, then you're in danger. That he does have your days numbered. That he has you on a weighted scale and he can tell whether you are going to measure up or not. And he doesn't want to take away anything that he's given to you. But family of God, I want to let you know this this morning. At any moment, at any time, you can choose right now to come back to him. The fact that you have a chance, the fact that you have this Sunday morning is not by coincidence, it's not by chance, it's by divine appointment and that you get to revisit your decisions and even though you can't go back in time and change those decisions, you can come back to the Lord in humility, repent of your sins and turn from the things that have brought you down and he will accept you, he will bring you back into himself. It ought to make somebody shout. We can openly run from the Lord in our lives and it's not just in in. in, in um, and the way that the king was doing, we do it all the time in the music that we listen to, in the entertainment that we watch, in the, in the friends of the company that we keep. And God, he wants us to know that it's not too late this morning. The handwriting is not on the walls of your house this morning. God hasn't written it on your wall yet. And so I want to tell you that you have an opportunity this day to come back in a right relationship with God. You see, history records exactly what happened in this, in this uh, invasion. The Medes were camped outside of, of the kingdom. And as they came to the gate, the army of Babylon let them in, opened the door. They walked directly into the kingdom and according to history, the king, Belshazzar, may have been the only person to be executed that evening. Why? It's because Babylon welcomed the Medes in as a, as a, a, a country that would kick off their ruler and, uh, uh, and get them out of the tyranny that they were living in on the oppression of King Belshazzar. Why is that important? Because we find in Scripture that that King Belshazzar, he was, uh, he was counting on his defenses. 
He was counting on the things in his world that were, would stand up against the attacks. And for right reasons too. I mean, if you look back in archaeology, we find that those walls were probably 90 feet high and 20 feet wide. They had an internal water source and they had provisions that would last them for a long time. They weren't worried if the army camped outside for a year, they would still have water. They weren't worried if the army tried to invade them because the walls couldn't be, uh, couldn't be overcome. They weren't worried if they, if they tried to, to keep the resources away because they could survive. They were fiercely independent. I wonder today if there are some people, even in this room right now, that have grown up fiercely independent. And you believe in the core of who you are that, that no matter what, life's throw, what life throws at you, you'll be ready to face it off. You'll be ready to handle it. And even though you're independent and even though you're strong and you're smart and you're talented, I want you to know that life doesn't work outside of Christ. There's no amount of fighting, there's no amount of struggling, there's no amount of planning that will enable you to overcome what the enemy has in store for you. So don't get comfortable with your walls and your ability and your intelligence and your planning because no matter how strong you are, no matter how independent you have become, we need Jesus. We need Jesus, folks. And so that's where the king was. I took my kids to the pool the other day. For those of you that don't know, I've got four children. I was by myself. My wife was having to do something else. I am the crazy one. I understand that. I've got a nine-year-old, a seven-year-old, a two-year-old, and my, my one-year-old son turned one on Friday. It was an adventurous pool time. Yeah. But my little two-year-old boy, he loves the pool, except he's deathly afraid of the water. He loves going in the kiddie pool. So I've got his floaties on and everything like that. And at the end of our time, I, I said, okay, it's time to get up out of the pool and, and come on. And all the parents know you, whenever you're at the pool and it's time to get out of the pool, it's always a struggle. I understand. And I got three kids, three out of four ain't bad. I was good with that, but I knew my wife wouldn't be happy. So I went back to get the fourth one. My two-year-old, my two-year-old insisted on, on going back and trying to get into the pool again. Only two, he's got his floaties on. I, I called him by his name. Crew, come on. And he looked around, he gave me a big smile and he took off running. <laughs> and I stood up and I walked over and he's standing at the edge of the baby pool. It's about this deep. And he looked at me like, what are you gonna do? And I said, crew, don't you get in that water. And he looked back at me, he smiled again and he jumped. I said, son, you get out of that water right now. He looked at me and he started splashing. I started walking over and I stood at the edge of that baby pool and I said, son, you get out of this pool right now. And you know what he did? He turned around and he went further in the pool. 
he got to the other side of the pool and he turned around and he looked at me and he pointed his finger. He said, no, daddy. Oh, 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 oh. what kind of dad do you think I would have been if I said, you're right. You're right. You ought to be able to swim by yourself. You're only two. I'm sure you'll meet some friends out here. You're probably going to be safe. Besides, you know, I'm sure you can sleep out here in one of these chairs. Okay. And you know, the bathroom, they leave that open during business hours. Maybe I'm wrong in telling you that you should come with me. You've only been at the pool for an hour and a half, son. Maybe, maybe you don't need to eat the rest of the day. Maybe you, maybe you just stay here for a while. What kind of dad would do that? What kind of dad would sit there and negotiate with a two-year-old? You can't do it. I want you to know what I did. I walked myself into that pool. I grabbed him up and on the way back, I was spanking his little behind. Because that's what a good dad does. Oh, no. Oh, no. Don't give me applause because guess what? Some of us have lived our lives in the same way. We have known God. We are his children. We have lived our lives. And every chance we get, we turn around and our loving, compassionate father calls out for us and says, come back. And we look back at him and we give him a big smile. Love you. And we follow whatever we want to do. And at some point, we turn around and we say, no, daddy. No, Father, no, Jesus, no, Holy Spirit, not in my life, not right now. I'm going to do what I want to do. But we have a loving God that is filled with compassion, that gives you chance after chance after chance. And congregation, I want to let you know today, today is your chance to turn back to God. The handwriting is not on your wall. You get to be a child of God and you get to be his favorite, but you got to come on his terms. You come back to him while he's calling after you, while he's loving you, while he's picking you up out of whatever mess that you're in, whatever kind of danger that you don't even know about. And he's paddling you the whole way. Why? Because he loves you. And this is your chance. Now, family of God, I realize that I'm probably not speaking to a room full of rebels. Although I think it would surprise us how many people are actually living like that today. I want you to know something. There's a second part of this message for us that there are people that are being faithful with the way that they live. Not only are you not running from the Lord, but you're trying to love him and serve him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This message is for you too. And it is for Paul, whenever he spoke to the Philippians about a group of people just like this. Okay. Paul in Philippians chapter two, starting verse 12. Dear friends, you always followed my instruction when I was with you. And now that I'm away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results 
of your salvation. Stop right there. You don't got to work to be saved. But you do need to show that you are saved. Somebody say amen to that. Our lives should reflect the salvation that has occurred. That we can't be good enough with just saying, Daddy, I love you. At some point, you have to be obedient with what your daddy God says. Paul said, with deep reverence and what? Fear. Pastor John, are you telling me that I need to be afraid of God? Not in the sense that he's going to strike you with a bolt of lightning, but yes, in the sense that he means what he says. Our father means what he says. He's not playing around. He doesn't play with you. He doesn't play games. So many of us have been brought up in a, in a family and relationship where they play games where they threaten to spank you and it never comes. Where they say it's not good for you, but they allow you to do it anyway. Where they sit there and try to bribe you to do right by constantly giving you candy and all that stuff instead of helping you, encouraging you to do right on your own. Congregation, I want to tell you, our Heavenly Father, He doesn't play games and He raises us right. But we have to respond in a right way in obedience and acknowledgement that He means what He says in fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases who? Him. I, I kind of like to look at it like this. Whenever I came to the Lord, I had all these desires that, that were my desires. But somehow the Holy Spirit worked inside of me and he pulled away my desires as I died to myself daily. And in place, he gave me new desires, but those desires weren't mine, they were his. And so now I am living out my desires, but they're his desires. He's giving me the power and the ability to live for him. He didn't even just call you to live for him. He gives you the power and the desires that he wants you to have so that you can live for him through his power. Some of you are dealing with things that have got you all twisted and tied up and you don't know how to let them go because you're so busy trying to live in your own power and your own ability but our loving God doesn't only call you to be in obedience but he gives you the power and the desires that he wants you to have some of us just need to rely on him more as we continue to go through this scripture, number one, he says, do everything without complaining and arguing. How many of you know that we could say that a couple times in the body of Christ? Everything without complaining and arguing. That doesn't just mean while you're sitting in church. That means when you're at home talking to the family. It means whenever you're online and nobody's gonna know it's you anyway. It means whenever you've had a really rotten day and all you want to do is get on the text message and tell your friend how bad everybody else is. See, I did a little word study whenever I 
read the word everything, it turns out in the Greek it means, turns out, everything without arguing and complaining. So that no one can criticize you. If you do everything without arguing and complaining, nobody can criticize you. Secondly, live clean, innocent lives as children of God. How many of you know that that's a word that everybody here needs to go home with? Live clean, innocent lives as children of God. What do you need to go home and clean up? I'm not just talking about the kitchen and the bathroom. I'm talking about something more important. Some of us need to go home and clean up our language. Some of us need to go home and and clean up our relationship with our, our spouse. Some of us need to go home and clean the house because we've been living in a house that wouldn't please the Lord. We need to get rid of some of the things that are inside of our house because we know that those things don't please the Lord. How many of you know that we are called to be in obedience to a loving, caring God? But holiness is not... It's not something foreign to us. It's something that we live with every day. Why are we to live clean and innocent lives as children of God? Because we need our our, uh, shining light, bright lights in a world full of what? Crooked and perverse people. How many of you know that, that the world didn't change that much from King Belshazzar to Paul? And it certainly hasn't changed that much from Paul to us. This world is broken, filled with hurting people. But those hurting people are crooked and perverse. Those same people are the people that we are called to minister to. Those are the same people that we are to love, to wrap our arms around and to bring them into the family of God so that whenever they come in, then they can experience God. They can dedicate their lives before them and then the Lord will put his desires and give him their, his power in order to live a clean and holy life. Sometimes we get that a little bit backwards. They, so we tell people that they got to clean up and then they can come in and experience the Lord. It just doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Our faith is what shines before this community. Our love for people is not from us, but it's reflected from him to others. And finally, verse 16, hold firmly to the word of life. Hold firmly to the word of life. Hold firmly to the word of life. Somebody say amen. Hold firmly to the word of life. The word of life. God's word gives us instruction and tells us how to feel on everything that we're supposed to be feeling about. It tells us how to respond to our culture. It tells us what our opinion shouldn't, uh, should be and what our opinion shouldn't be. How many of you know we've got a lot of Christians trying to make up their mind about how to feel whenever the Bible tells us exactly how we should feel? We ought to hate evil. We got to love good. We got to love people. We've got to confront sin in our lives. Watch this. Then, on the day of Christ's return, I will be 
proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. I need somebody to understand this today. That the days of sin, isn't that those days aren't just numbered. It's the believer's days as well. Everybody's on a countdown. And for the believer, it's a countdown for the return of Christ Jesus. Because on that day, (laughs) faster than a twinkling of an eye, the Bible says the trumpet shall sound and the dead in Christ shall be raised and that we that are still alive will be caught up in the air to meet him in glory. And we're gonna be changed. Christ's legacy, those that are joining us online, family. God's coming back. Jesus is coming back for us and we don't have time to play games anymore. We got a community to be a light to. We've got people to love, to love into the doors of this church and to love into the doors of heaven. Oh, come on, somebody say amen to that. Would you stand up with me all over this place? Today, if you feel like you're running far from the Lord, you don't have to. If you feel like every turn, every step that you've made, even though at one time you've known him, has been a step away from him, you could take 999,000 steps away from him. But all that you have to do is turn around and take one step back you're back with him you're back with him Christ's legacy if you need the Lord this morning he is near to you would you just bow your heads and pray with me Heavenly Father I ask that your Holy Spirit to be in this place surround us with your love and draw us through the power of your Holy Spirit back to your heart with your head still bowed or your eyes still closed as a as a courtesy no looking around This is a very private moment between you and the Lord. If you're living a life right now and you know that you are far from the Lord and you want to be close again, would you just simply raise your hand so I know I'm praying with you? Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Yes. I'm looking around. Thank you. Yes. I see you. I'm looking around. Thank you. Yes. Wow. Wow. Thank you, yes. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for those hands that were raised. Lord, in this moment, as they raise their hands, Lord, they're signifying to you, Lord, that their intention is, Lord, to come back to you. I pray, God, that the position of their heart shows real repentance, meaning, Lord, that they are running away from the things that they were running to, and now that they are turning around and chasing after you. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would give them the power and the desires of your heart, Lord, that they might fulfill, Lord, what you called them to do. Firstly and namely, a right relationship with you and a right relationship with others. Father, I pray, God, that you would draw them close to you. 
Lord, allow them, God, to feel the love and the peace that comes from being in your kingdom. And Lord Jesus, I pray, God, that every step that they take from hereafter walks closely and hand in hand with you. Lord, be the Lord of their life, the master of their heart. In Christ's name, amen and amen. Let's just give the Lord a round of applause for these people. is filled with people that love God, that are filled with His Spirit, that have the light that shines out and the Word hidden in their heart. If that's true, then we're going to be inviting people into our fellowship. If that's true, we're going to be living for Him and as His witnesses, reaching and touching the community around us. Somebody say amen. Lord, as we walk out of here today, fill us with your spirit and your word that we might make a difference in your kingdom. Let us find you, give hope, and do life together. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Be blessed.